and I mean, to me, that is the ultimate, like my mind loves that part of it, is that we're always looking for pieces that make us bigger, better, faster, stronger in this sport, and we're never gonna win. I hate things that I can win too easily, too fast, things that are too easy to master. I mean, if it's easy to master, what is the point in doing it if anybody can do it? What's going on, everyone? Welcome back or welcome to the Water Ski Podcast. This is your host, Matteo Luzzeri, and in this podcast, what we mainly do is promote water skiing through the voices of people in the sport. Um, well, what an interview this time. Uh, I had a chance to sit down virtually and uh, speak with Elizabeth Montavon. Um, Elizabeth has been a skier her whole life. Uh, started more as a trick skier, but then picked up slalom and picked up slalom, as you will hear, uh, pretty quickly, honestly. Uh, once she set her mind to it and found uh, a coach that challenged her and pushed her and trusted her, uh, and she trusted him. So great story. Uh, for any of you that followed the pro skiing scene, uh, definitely this name has been one of the names of 2020. Uh, someone that started showing up on tournaments and then on podiums and especially finished the season with a second place at, a, at the Mastercraft Pro Tournament. But a very interesting person to talk to. Uh, in this first part, per usual, we go through her journey, which in certain instances is, in quite a few instances, is quite different than some of the more, shall we say, linear journey that other guests have had uh, in competitive water skiing. So very excited to share this episode, which is brought to you by our friends at the Flowpoint Method. Flowpoint Method is the online water ski training program developed by Jenny Labaugh and Marcus Brown. Marcus being one of the guests of this show, episode 10, and with whom I not too long ago released a Flowpoint Method podcast episode uh, on YouTube uh, where we just discuss technique and some of the things I've been focusing on lately. So I know there's been a lot of requests of me talking about te technique, coaching. Um, you can get some of that there. But going back to the flow point method, uh, they, they cover it all. Uh, technique, fitness, nutrition, mindset. They have a truly holistic approach for people who are truly committed to take their skin to their next level. Uh, we just started two days ago, in, no, sorry, yesterday, uh, in the off-season training, uh, the, the, the module. And that is going to involve a lot of stuff off the water, obviously, because it's off-season. Um, so I'm ready to have Jenny show me the ways outside of the water, despite I'm still skiing a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, daily, weekly updates, huge 
extensive library of videos, instructionals and writings. You can finally remove the guesswork and get the most out of your time on the water uh, and off the water too. Uh, you can become a member of the Flowpoint Method by going to thewaterskipodcast.com slash method, or you can click on the link in the show notes. And in the show notes, you can also find the link to the uh, Flowpoint Method podcast episode I did with Marcus. So again, there's a free three days free trial. I mean, if you haven't checked that uh, by now, I think I, I would urge you to do it. And so you can see the, the potential that this program has for your own skiing. So for now, let's get back to the interview with Elizabeth and uh, stay tuned for part two next week. Okay, Elizabeth, welcome to the Waterski Podcast. Nice to have you here. Thank How are you, you doing? So much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Um, I feel like you've really changed um, how people are able to interpret content about skiing and I'm, I'm so grateful you've been doing this and I'm so grateful to be here. Well, thank you. Those are those are very nice words. Um, well, but you know, th this podcast is about guests, so we will talk about you a lot in this uh, whatever time we spend talking um, and we'll just get warm up with the usual question, which should act as your 28 off or 32 off. Um, How did you get into skiing? How did I get into skiing? So. Um, you might not be familiar, this might be before your time, but my mom was a really good um, trick skier, female trick skier. She went pro when she was about 12. Um, and wow. she grew up in Dixon, Illinois, um, skiing on a river behind her house. Um, my grandparents met through skiing, but my grandpa was a show skier. And that was the first date question. He, he saw my grandma and he said, if I can teach you to ski, I can take you out to dinner. And she said, all right, you know, <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's see works. what you got. <laughs> so, um, anyway, you know, they kind of became this ski family and my mom was really good at a really young age and, um, traveled quite a bit. Um, my grandpa and Rob Shirley built the first Mastercraft down here in South Florida together. Um, my mom was one of the first Mastercraft athletes, um, back when Mastercraft made skis, that was, you know, she was the trick skier. Um, she got invited to the masters when she was 12 and because, um, my grandpa was obviously a Mastercraft promo guy. My grandpa said, you're not going to the Masters. You won't be seen skiing behind an Autique. So <laughs> 12 wow. years old, invited to the Open Masters, and they turned on the invite. Like, who does that, That's right? how far back the boat rivalry goes. Yeah, wow. exactly. <laughs> That's crazy. So, um, you know, skiing just kind of was something that we did as kids after school. My mom would pick us up, and we'd go home. And I grew up in the house next door to the house my mom grew up in. On the same river so we would go out and ski until it was dark and then you know go home and we would do it all over again the next day um and we did this was in illinois right yep illinois northern illinois yeah. okay. so um it was you know mostly like the we could ski into the fall a little bit um definitely like wetsuit weather as a lot of people know um and then a lot of skiing in the summer and we would travel you know to florida like to um to picos's and to the Destin area a little mm -hmm. bit in the winter to try to keep some skiing going. But when you're a junior, it doesn't feel as as important. You know, you're just going wherever the family takes you. Yeah. So I grew up um, on the same river and it was really hard to maintain a slalom course um, on the river, as you can imagine. So yeah. we would slalom from time to time, but 
my mom was a trick skier. My dad wasn't a skier. So I ended up being a trick skier. That was just what we could do a lot of. Um, there was a slalom course at a, on a pond. I call it a pond because there was no room for pre-gates. <laughs> That's how short it was. Okay. <laughs> um, and so we would, you know, maybe like on the weekends or every other weekend, we'd go out and ski on the pond and I'd get to slalom a little bit. But it was really just like, hey, go throw on that other long ski as something else to do. <laughs> okay. Um, and it was mostly trick skiing. Um, and so... I think like a lot of junior skiers, I just did what my parents told me. I learned the tricks, learned my runs, went to tournaments, um, didn't really have a concept of how good I was relative to the other girls my age um, until I was much older, really, because um, my family's very like achievement oriented. So even when I'd win a nationals, it was always, you could have won by this many more points though. <laughs> ah, wow, okay, that, that type. Yeah, yeah, we're that family. So, um, you know, I never really reveled in any of my successes that I had as a junior. Um, and then I got to this point where um, trick skiing was going to a new level for women, for junior women and for women where everybody was starting to learn flips. And I hated flips. I yep. could not figure them out. It wasn't my thing. Um, and so we kind of hit a little bit of a wall there. Um, and I, I think I, you know, grew as much as I could within my trick career. And then it was time for college. So I, um, went to Rollins my first two years and, you know, unfortunately I hate to say this. I feel like I'm like the one person in the world who did not have a great collegiate ski experience. Um, and I hate to say that because I think collegiate skiing is such a good, um, uh, like segment of water skiing. I think it brings a lot of new people in. I think it helps people grow their skill set in a way that they otherwise might not have. It's community. Some people get to travel more than they ever have before. Like collegiate skiing is such a good thing. And I just had such a terrible um, experience collegiate skiing. So, All right. So this is where we had a little technical break for once. We just needed to make sure microphones were working the way they were. Uh, I was here in, in Italy, she was in Florida, there was a couple of things to adjust, but uh, I just wanted to take the opportunity for this little break to give you a few ways in which you can support the podcast, and you'll find the links to all of these in the show notes, but just as a reminder, uh, you can donate to the podcast via PayPal, you can uh, write a review uh, and leave a rate and review on Apple Podcast, and also I discovered on Podchaser. Um, that's a that's another podcast platform that I personally wasn't familiar with, but I've been told that a lot of uh, people use. So that platform gives the opportunity for a rate and review. So any rates and reviews really help the podcast go up in charts that are about sports and. You know, it's a, it's a good way of promoting water skiing, just to pop up on some sporting charts. Um, you can also advertise on the podcast. Um, I've had adverts, as you might have heard from until now. The only thing that I ask is that if you decide to advertise, you have to have some promotion code, some advantage for the listeners. So if you're thinking about advertising on the podcast, keep that in mind. 
And uh, the other way is to simply, you know, share it on social media, talk about it with friends, uh, spread the word. These are some of the ways in which you, you can help the work behind the Waterski podcast. That's it. Back to the interview. Okay, so you were telling me like that's that's a first. That's a first. Um, and I know that the collegiate experience is obviously different for everyone. So I mean, honestly, I'm 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 curious to hear what what didn't work for you because it seems like you you recognize the the potential, uh, but it sounded like you didn't have that good of an experience. Um, tell me more. So, so yeah, and you know, and I really hate to say it, of course, but I went to Rollins my first uh, two years, and I was their top seed women's tricker at the time, I think, and um, I think it was just a case of a bad culture at the time. Like, I don't blame Rollins in this, or the leadership in the slightest. There was just a few people on the team who were not great at being teammates, and then me being from the Midwest and being super naive and just loving this idea of, oh my God, we're like on a team now. I kind of just walked into it very blindly. And I mean, of course there, you know, you expect a little bit of hazing in any organization in college. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but there was this whole different level that it went to. And it was really a lot of bullying and it wasn't just me who was being bullied. There was other people, but for me it was, it was too much. I mean, people messing with equipment and loosening screws and people going out the front and getting hurt and people stealing all your money out of your bag or stealing, just what? like insanity. No. Yeah. No way. <laughs> and you know, I, I mean, I'm really thrilled to say that all of those people, none of them ski anymore at all, which is fantastic because we don't need those people in the sport. No, no. And all the good people on that team from my time are still in skiing and that's exactly how it should be. Um, but you know, I, I really just wanted to give my best as an athlete um, to this team. I showed up. I think in all five years of my collegiate skiing, because I because I transferred, I had that one season off, so four right. seat, you know, four years. I think I only fell once. I think I tricked thirty three forty every single time I skied in a collegiate tournament. Like I was so like about these people are depending on me. This isn't about me. This is about the team aspect and I can't let them down. And I was so excited about that. And then for to happen what happened with the team and the culture and to feel so not safe, um, it was really disappointing. And I mean, it got to this point where I developed so much anxiety around it that I couldn't leave my apartment. Like I stopped oh, wow. going to class. Because wow. if I would leave my apartment, I would have an anxiety attack because I just felt so unsafe. And then I would sit in class and silently have an anxiety attack, which meant my, like my notes were garbage, right? right? And so my grades just you know, started to slip. And after two years of that, my parents were like, you're miserable. Like, you're not going back to school. So there wasn't even like a plan to transfer. I literally just dropped out of college after my sophomore year. Mm -hmm. And I was what like- What were you going for? Um, international business. Okay. Okay. My God, what a, I, I had no idea. I had no idea. I mean, it's, it's not the normal collegiate ski experience though. You know what I mean? I hear about everybody else's and I'm like, I wish I'd had that, but I was so afraid of these people and I wanted to ski cause I loved skiing. 
Like, I was really never so much about the drinking, so much about, like, the partying and, like, all of that side. Like, I genuinely love skiing. And so I couldn't do that thing, even though I would, like, I got to this point where I was, like, psychotically checking my equipment before I skied every day. Because we had lockers, and the lock would get cut off people's lockers all the time. And I'd be, I'd be buying new padlocks. And, you know, then I started keeping my skis in my car. Well, when you're a freshman and sophomore, you have to park in parking lots that are really far away, of course. So then you're getting up an hour early because you have to carry your skis. And it just got to this point where I was like, this is this is insanity. And I was miserable. So my parents were like, you're not going back to school. Like, final decision. Oh. End of story. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, good call on your parents. You know, what's... I mean, I had no idea about this. But what what's sad is that it might be a, a rarity in the collegiate skiing experience. But sadly, it tends to be too often the experience of college freshmen and sophomores, you know, like hazing, uh, feeling like you have to belong. Then you get into the whole like, you know, uh, organizations that the students might, might go in that have hazing embedded in it, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, fraternities, sororities, uh, whatever groups within the major. That's, uh, yeah, that makes it for a very toxic combo. Um, so wh what did you end up doing? Did you just leave Rollins and took a little bit of a break? Yeah, I mean, I left, I left Rollins. I was, I, at that time I, I went and saw somebody and they di diagnosed me with clinical depression and anxiety. Um, they put me on an anti-anxiety medication. Um, and so I don't have to tell you, I mean, sure, I didn't feel sad anymore, but I couldn't feel happy, right? Like I was just felt nothing. I was very neutral. Yeah. Um, so I was like mildly, a mildly functioning human. <laughs> and um, I didn't really have a plan. I didn't know what to do. I still wanted to ski, but it was traumatic for me. Um, and, you know, during all of this time, my brother, I don't know if you've met my brother, Zach, but he was skiing phenomenally. He was still a junior. He was in boys three. And he was a really good, and still is a really good um, trick and slalom skier. Like, he was always vying for first at U.S. Nationals in two events. And um, so That's we big. were still, yeah, we were still spending a lot of time around skiing in the summers. Um, but it was mostly about, like, let's get Zach trained and get Zach ready for whatever events he has going on. And... We, that summer after I dropped out of school, there was a, I think it was a junior U.S. Open at the Boscuses in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was a junior U.S. team trials. I think it was junior U.S. Open. And um, we went, you know, and I just went to support Zach and to hang out with everybody. And um, Lyman Hardy is actually a very good friend of my mom's. And um, Lyman asked my mom, you know, what's Elizabeth doing? How is Elizabeth doing? And my mom was like, well, she's dropped out of college. <laughs> we have no idea what she's doing. So everything's right. great. And, you know, Lyman was like, nope, she's going to Alabama in the fall. And my mom was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, I got this. And I'll be damned if he didn't make two phone calls in July. And I was enrolled for August. Wow. Like, I owe Lyman so much. And he, he was he was right. He was like, you know, Alabama is good people because he knew the team very well at the time, of course. And he was like, it's a big school, so there'll be a lot of things for her to do and see, whereas Rollins was very small. So it's kind of like once you get the run of Rollins, that's all there is. And he was like, we'll take care of her. And I was like, mm -hmm. well, what if I don't want to go? And my mom was like, you don't really have a choice because you have no plan. <laughs> I was like, you know, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. 
So um, I switched my major to marketing because that was what I really wanted to study anyway. And uh, Rollins didn't offer marketing. So I was like, okay, going to this big school. I know some people on this team from collegiate skiing. Um, they gave me a full ride, actually. I was their top seed women's trick skier. Um, and I hopped off the anti-anxiety medication. I said, I'm going to figure this. I'm going to figure this shit out. You know, I want to feel happy. If I have to feel sad in the process, I'm going to figure this out. But I, I don't want to be dependent on this. And I will sort out my anxiety. So I transferred to Alabama. And of course, I had to redshirt for a season. Um, but, you know, that team was just a group of the most incredible humans because, I mean, they were amazing. Their culture is amazing. They, they really were a good ski family, collegiate ski family. Um, but even though nobody really knew what I had just gone through, because it was still so fresh, I hadn't really processed it. It's easy now, many years later, to look back and look at the series of events and, you know, talk about it. But at the time, I just knew I had been through a lot of trauma. I didn't understand why it had happened. Um, and was it a big deal or was I making it a bigger deal than what it was? Like, I really didn't know. And yeah. they really just gave me space to ski and to try to get my grades up, right? Because all my grades had, like, bottomed out. And they just, like, let me do my thing and were there for me when I needed it. And when I needed space, they gave me space. And I can't possibly express enough like how grateful I am to them for doing that because it was it was never discussed you know we never talked yeah. about any of it I think somehow intuitively just as empathetic humans they just knew um and you know because I was still dealing with so much social anxiety even though this was a great group of people I still had like all those trust issues I didn't really get to go to all the parties as much I didn't go yeah. to all the events I you know I still kept to myself and so, I mean, of course, I regret that a little bit because, like I said, I wish I'd had that phenomenal collegiate ski experience. Um, but I think those three years there were just the first phase of, like, my healing process and me figuring out who I wanted to be in skiing. Because, obviously, when you go from junior to adult skier, there's the big, okay, do you really want to do this? How do you want to do it? When you're spending your own money on it, it's a different conversation. So... Um, yeah, they really gave me that space to figure it out. And um, it was a good experience for me, all things considered. Yeah, that's you You marked on something interesting, like you used college to figure out your skiing, which is interesting, your place in skiing, as those were your words, which for other people, the decision to go to college for skiers like yourself, like someone who was training, who was doing nationals, bred into achievement environment making the decision to to pursue collegiate skiing is that decision right he's like okay this is what i'm gonna do and then i'm gonna try my best after that whereas for you it was that transition moment so no wonder that you, you had to use that moment to figure it out right uh and i'm glad to hear that you had and you were surrounded by understanding people because i so when did you graduate, if I can ask? 2017. Yeah. So you were going through this like six years ago, five years ago, something like this? Yeah. Five, four, yeah. Yeah. At a time where mental health in sport, like that conversation 
was just starting, right? Yeah, that's like, true, actually. Uh, Phelps speaking out, Kevin Love. So the public conversation around mental health in sport wasn't really there yet. Yeah, and I didn't really think of it that way. But, you know, now that you say that, I, I went to see, so at Rollins they have um, something that was, is special about Rollins is they have a lot of, um, like, athletic um, support for all the mm -hmm. sports. And so, like, there was, um, you know, a psychiatrist for all the athletes. And I went and saw her, and I told her what was going on. And she literally looked at me and said, there's nothing I can do for you. There's nothing that can be done. Like, you're just messed up. And I was like, first of all, that is not how professionals operate. <laughs> what you know, hell? yeah. Anybody who's in the you know field of psychology, I know that is not the mo. And so that was really no. disappointing. So when you're like 19 and you you're looking at an an adult adult do a terrible job of being an adult, right? And you're like, oh my god, how do I tell you how to do your job right now? Because I know you're doing it wrong, and I'm I am messed up, but I'm trying to get out. Like I'm asking for help. And you're just looking at me like, yeah, and you're no, the like, professional that is supposed to help me. <laughs> right. Know? And she's Apparently. like, it's too late. You're too far gone. <laughs> what the hell? My God, what a, yeah, I mean, the toxic environment in toxic encounters, you know? But, you know, I think like if I had to be one of the people who went through um, being a collegiate athlete back when mental health wasn't something as openly discussed. And so now I get to discuss it and we realize how important it is. And, you know, my brother's only five years younger than me, so he's about to graduate soon anyway. But for people like my little brother, somebody else's little brother gets the benefit of people being more aware. Hey, you know what? I'm resilient. Obviously yeah. I, I'm fine. You know, obviously I turned out okay. Um, and I like the direction everything's going in that regard. But, um, yeah, it was it was interesting because and also you got to remember when I was in my collegiate ski career, Erica Lang was absolutely changing the face of women's trick skiing. Yep. Which was my whole identity was wrapped up in trick skiing. And I right. knew I wasn't going to flip at all because I, I hated it. And I'm big. You know, I'm five nine. <laughs> but did you try like give me your story because you went a lot to Picasus, right? I did. And there's another guy from the Czech Republic that you might remember, so Zenek Coleman, so Martin's older brother, who and got all the way to trick nine grand without a single flip. And he went to Corey so much trying to learn one damn flip, and he couldn't, right? Wow. And I want to I wanna talk to him because, I mean, even I managed to do a flip, you know? So, but... <laughs> What was it for you? Like upside down, scared, you know, not wanting to do it. What, what was your experience? I can't explain it. If, if you put me in a handstand, I will pass out. If I go upside down, cartwheel, if I hang from a bar upside down, I, I just pass out. It's not fear. It's not like I don't want to because I'll try anything. But literally every time I would go upside down, I would black out and then I would wake up right as you're really supposed to like prepare to land. And there was no time to prepare. I was just becoming conscious again. So, <laughs> I mean, how do you coach to that? Like, I worked with, I worked with at Picos's. We worked at Rini's, Camilo, like Chet. I mean, everybody tried to teach me flips. And there's nothing you can do for the girl who blacks out upside down. Right? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> Tough. Tough. So, um, so even on a trampoline, like, no nothing. way. No way. 
It's, I, I don't know what it is. I lose complete awareness of my surroundings. Can't see anything. Can't hear anything. Yeah. I mean, it's like this massive fatal flaw of mine, which it just hurts so badly because I love trick skiing. I could watch trick skiing all day. I will drive trick skiing all day. I will pick you up as many times as you want to fall. I could pin all day. I mean, I just love it. And I watch them do it and I'm like, oh my God, I could do that run. And I would actually do the tricks in this order and this combination and, you know, watch old trick runs. And why are we not mirroring what they did back then? And, and I just can't do what I want to do on a trick ski. <laughs> yeah. And that's and that's a that's a fair point because I would say up until Clem and Natalia, you could still get around without flipping or even just do one flip and be a very competitive, you know, female trick skier. But once Natalia and Clem took over and then obviously Erica and Anna and Neely after them, yeah, you need to flip and you need to flip a lot also, you know, so yeah, you, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, I can see how that transition is like, you know, brought dif difficulties for you, you know, so when okay, but that that doesn't mean, you know, like you could have said, well, okay, done. And yet slalom took over, right? Yeah, where when did that happen? Was it because you couldn't learn flips or was the slalom, you know, extravaganza already starting? So this, this is such a cool story, I think, because I don't think anybody really has my story when it comes to how did I get decent on a slalom ski. So, and that's why you're on the Water Ski Podcast. <laughs> so I graduated from Alabama in 2017. Um, and I was at the time, I was in a really serious relationship with a guy who lived down here where I live now, West Palm area. So um, I kind of just figured I was going to move to South Florida. And I was like, well, that's good because there's skiing in South Florida. So I'll get to ski a little bit. And, you know, my brother had worked with Chet Rayleigh a lot. And so mm -hmm. I had skied with Chet a couple times, but I wouldn't say he was my coach at the time. Um, and so I graduated. I moved down here. Um, and then my parents one day, they, they called me and they said, hey, we, we bought a house 10 minutes from Okahili. Um because we didn't want to be like far from you, you know, down the road. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm getting no space, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, good mom. Good yeah. choice. <laughs> so they, um, they bought a house down here and they moved the boat down here and they were still living in Chicago at the time. So they had this, you know, basically their retirement plan all set up with a ski boat. And um, I took a couple sets with Chet here and there just to like ski. And they were slalom sets because I was so at a loss for what to do with trick skiing. And if I couldn't get better, what was I really gonna do? Because that's how I was raised, right? So I wasn't gonna keep doing the same run. I'd really maxed out everything I was capable of. Um, and I started skiing with Chet a little bit and then my dad would come down here and visit and he would pull me at O'Keeley a little bit. But I mean, I was getting one and a half at 35. Like if you needed somebody to fall at two ball at 35, I was your girl. Nice. <laughs> Loose line, gonna fall right to the inside. So it was more something to do. And I wanted to be around skiing. Like I liked skiing, um, but I wasn't getting any better. And then one day the boyfriend was like, you know, I don't really like how much time you're spending at the lake with these guys. Like, I really think you need to rethink this part of your life. And I was just like, peace out, threw the ski in the car. I was like, I'm done with this. <laughs> this is like not even a conversation. 
And that for me was kind of a big moment because I was like, okay, I just broke up with somebody who was very serious for skiing. I probably should do something with my skiing then. <laughs> and that's and that's what I want to get to because you were at a bit of a lost moment in skiing, it sounded like. You know, like you, you decided that, you know, trick skiing wasn't going anywhere. Slaloming, let's face it, like for someone with an achievement-oriented, you know, philosophy, you weren't there yet. So I'm so curious what made you put the ski in the in the car and, and rush away from that place? Like, why, why was skiing? Well, so this, this is like the, this story is the moment. So I was at Chet's, um, I was skiing, and I was maybe scrapping through a 35 here and there with him, you know, but definitely getting a lot of my one and a half and two at 35s. And he dropped me at, so I'm getting one and a half at 35, Mateo, right? He drops yeah. me at the end of the lake. And he was like, do you know how many of the top female solemn skiers in the world over the past 20 years, like I have coached in one way or another? And I was like, well, I've got, you know, kind of got like an idea of it. And he started to list them all off, you know, and you, you could honestly on one hand list the ones he hasn't. It's such a small pool of people who have you know, never at one point worked with Chet Rayleigh. And he was like, here's the thing. You're smart enough. You are strong enough. You've got the drive and the ability, but you're going to have to do all of the work because I could make you one of the best skiers in the world. He's like, now here's the deal. And this is why I love Chet. And I think this is something that people might misunderstand about him is he's very, very direct when he coaches me. And a lot of people think that it's, it's harsh because you shouldn't mm -hmm. talk to girls like that. Um, but the caveat they're missing is he tells me the truth, but I know he's not passing judgment on me when he tells me that truth. And so I'm very, very safe in that moment. And yeah. so he said to me, here's the deal, you know, you're 30 pounds overweight, you're gonna have to lose weight, you're fat. He said, your head is a mess, like you've gotta get your head straightened out. This anxiety, depression, like bullshit that you're telling yourself you have, you have to get that sorted out. And then he said, you know, you learned how to slalom wrong, so we have to unlearn everything and relearn everything. But yeah. you could be one of the best in the world. And I was like, okay, that's like three things. That's only three things, like, right? I could do that. Right. <laughs> just three small things. Yeah, right? just three little things. And that moment, I was like, based on his track record, I believe you. I think if anybody else had said that to me, I would be like, bullshit. But I was like, you know, he's been doing this for 40 years. He's seen a thing or two. Okay. And what's the worst thing that's going to happen? I don't get any better. Nobody knows who I am in Islam anyway. It doesn't matter. Yep. You know, I mean, I can fail and it literally doesn't matter. I have nothing to lose. So that moment and, and then, you know, the, the breakup happened at some point around then. And I was like, OK, he, he just said I have to just get into shape, like become a proper athlete. I have to get my head sorted out and I have to relearn everything and be willing to fall and to fail and over and over and over again. And that was what really started it was I, I chose to see it as an athletic experiment. Can we take somebody who's built like a slalom skier, who learned how to be a good trick skier, who is emotionally messed up, physically not in shape anymore, 
And can we make a professional female slalom skier out of him? Out of her? Yeah. Well. Like, got nothing to lose. <laughs> experiment was a success, apparently. <laughs> right? No, I mean, of course. Uh, I, I was almost about to say otherwise you wouldn't be here, but that's bullshit because I interview whoever the hell I want to interview. But certainly, <laughs> you know, like there's kind of a bit of truth in that, you know, like the, the skiing world, you know, got a little bit shocked, particularly this year. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so let, let's dig into that. So, OK, I, I didn't quite understand if Chad's pivotal conversation happened before or after the, the breakup. I don't I don't know. I think it was after. I think it was after the breakup. It's so funny. Like, I was thinking about this today. Somebody asked me what I scored at some event. And, like, I don't even remember what I ran because I'm so future-oriented. Like, I forget mm -hmm. important things in my own life because I get so focused on, like, what's next. But I think it was the breakup happened. Chet found out about the breakup. And I think he saw that as his window. Like, okay, let's, like, take our shot. And yeah. then we had that conversation. And I mean, at the time, like I told, I told my dad that because he was planning on moving down here because um, he wanted to retire um, as early as he could. And I was like, so I'm going to need you to start pulling me and I have to figure out how to make a living and train now as a pro skier. And I think my dad a little bit was like, this is a joke, right? <laughs> right. Like yeah. you're not a solemn skier and you're out of shape and you're a wreck. Like, what are you talking about? And he's seen me get one and a half at 35 for like the past year straight. So yeah. I think he thought it was a little bit of a joke as well. I mean, the only person who really believed, I think was me and Chet for the past three years. Cause this was in 2017. This would have been May, April of 2017. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. from, you know, from then till now, I think the only people who really believed this was even possible would be him and him and I. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting because you were in an environment and in a situation where like another guest that I had who was Corey was exactly in the same place physically and in the same place skiing wise that, that you were just out of college, good skier, but not competitive enough to aspire to ski pro uh, West Palm, Okihili skiing, sometimes with Chet, right? Mm -hmm. That, that, the storyline is is right there. <laughs> I tell think Chet has like an MO, honestly. You know, right. So what is, tell me a little bit about the environment. Like, I mean, clearly you guys, the two of you are success stories from that area. What works there? Is it Okihili access, weather, a combination of everything? You know, I think, it, so I don't know how much Corey worked with Chet necessarily. Um, but for me, it was a lot of, whatever Chet says to do, I'm just going to do it. Mm -hmm. Like I bought in at 110% because the truth was, if I knew anything about slalom, I would have been slaloming a lot better. Right. So I just like accepted, like, fair. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to hire the guy who allegedly does and I'm going to buy in. And if it doesn't start to pay out, like then I know, but if I only buy in halfway and cherry pick his coaching, if it doesn't work, then we don't really know, is it the coaching or is it because I didn't go all in on Chet? Mm -hmm. So I think for me it was, I went all in, but also I skied so much. Like we skied, I mean, I still to every day, um, not every day, but the five days I ski with my dad, my sets are 12 past sets minimum. All like right. just rep, like I have to get reps in because I have 
so little experience in slalom compared to the other girls I stand on the dock with. So I think that at O'Keeley, because you do have five slalom courses, um, there's always a place to ski. And if you're willing to put in the time on the water and, and put in the work, then yeah, you can get better really quickly because it's really just about spending enough time on the water, attempting to do at least the right things. And I think it compounds success and we have better weather, we have access to a lot of things. So if you're willing to put in that work, this is like the place to do it. It's, it's almost like if you need to get better faster than what's possible, like at an accelerated pace, this is honestly an ideal environment to do so. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, and as I said, like someone like you or Corey, despite your, your experiences might be slightly different, you, you turned pro by virtue of training there. So yeah, no, it's a, it's an interesting, that says something about Chet, that says something about Okihili, that says something about West Palm, you know, uh, clearly a, a good place to, to develop your own skiing. And I found it very interesting that you said, you know, uh, you were lacking the reps because you, you know, it's always a, a matter of conversation. Like how much should you ski? How many passes you should get? Like, you know, in tournament it's one and done. Like, can you get used to make mistakes? There's, there's so many conversations that can spread out of that, but I like your, your simple, I miss the reps. I need reps, you know? I, I think it's, I think a lot of skiers overanalyze how much should they ski, you know? So like, like I skied junior masters, I tricked, I've never slalomed there. So, you know, God willing, I qualify for a masters. That's an experience I don't have. Whereas a lot of the women I would be skiing against did get to ski junior masters several years, and it probably isn't going to be their first pro masters. So they have all that experience, right? So I'm trying to fabricate and manufacture experience um, in a very short amount of time because, you know, the worst thing I think I can do is let myself just age and try to pick up experience at a normal rate. Because by the time I have all the experience I think I might want, I might be, it might be 10 years down the road. I might be 36 and I don't want to be just peaking when I'm 36. You know what I mean? So I, and I think that you can't get better at something if you're not doing it. So if you need to get better at getting on top of the ski into your offside, you better do a lot of offsides. Well, Unfortunately, we can't isolate the offside, right? So you just still got to run a lot of passes. At the end of the day, it all comes back down to you better run a ton of freaking passes if you need to get better at something. So, and I'm not athletically gifted. Like, I'm the last person who is a natural athlete. Um, Chet knew that. Chet told me that. He goes, here's the deal. Like, you're going to have to learn everything the hard way. I've worked with you before. He goes, but you will work hard. And he, he's not wrong. You tell me what to do as my coach or as my gym trainer, and I'll put in all the hours. I'll shut off the side of me that feels pain and the side of me that's afraid, and I will go until you tell me to stop. So, you know, when that's your strength is just to train and train and train and train, that's what you do. You just, you train. And you, you know, pray to God that your trainers and your coaches are watching you closely enough that they're keeping you on the right path. Because once I start going, I'm going to keep going. Um right. Yeah, but I mean, there's nothing about slalom that's that's natural to me in any sense. <laughs> well, it doesn't look like. Um, I mean, I've been watching videos of you competing. You know, like, no, you have a remarkable style, and obviously, 
I'm sure you're going to say that Chad had a huge influence in that. Um, but what was, so let, let's go into the details. Like mm -hmm. what was the major, let's say mistake or thing you were doing on the ski that Chad had to sort of like destroy and rebuild? So I was girls two, girls three, when West Coast Slalom was the thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we would ski at Picos's every once in a while. They were kind of into West Coast Slalom. They told us about, you know, the DVD. My mom ordered it. And my mom, like, just wanting to do the best she could, right, as our coach, not knowing anything about Slalom, she was like, we're doing this. So my brother and I learned West Coast Slalom. And it absolutely destroyed my back. Like, yep. I remember I was like 13 years old and I couldn't slalom at a, a nationals. I could only trick because my back was so... I actually got diagnosed with scoliosis when I was 15 because my back was that messed up. But I didn't have scoliosis. Like, it was just West Coast slalom. <laughs> right. Um, and so I was a lot of compression, like a lot of knee bend, a lot of hip dropping, um, a lot of counter rotation and... It was really more of not a conversation of does West Coast Slalom work or not. It was we have to fix my back. So I was skiing with Chet, and I mean, I was in excruciating pain for probably the first year and a half because my back had just had been destroyed, and it, it we never really found a solution for it because even throughout college when I would slalom for fun, I was just doing what I knew, which was West Coast Slalom. So... Right. I was just re-injuring myself and didn't really have a, an understanding of that. And, you know, first things first with Chet was he was like, you have to get your legs straight-ish. Obviously not locked out, right? But straight legs and we have to get your hips straight. If the hip is a joint, you know, we have to get it straight. I hate saying hips up because then I think people overextend and overarch their body. So mm -hmm. I say hips straight um, instead of, you know, hips bent as a joint. And that was really priority one. Um because then we were able to take a lot of load off of my back. And then while I was skiing, I could actually think, I mean, you know what it's like to ski with back pain. Like you, yep. how do you even work on anything? No, it's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible. You're just like your mind is shut off and you're just hanging onto the handle for survival. Which I mean really tells you like how much we love skiing, right? Because- Oh uh, yeah, yeah, you're still, we'll still skiing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, but it, it was, that was really step one and then it was also about, okay, like learn how to ride the line and get way up on the boat and get comfortable with what that looks like visually from that vantage mm -hmm. point of being way up next to the boat. Um, because when you ski a lot of 15, 22, 28, 32, and you dabble at 35, we'll say, the visual is pretty consistent and that becomes your comfort zone just because that's what you do all the time. Um, and then as he was ready to work at shorter lines, I always thought I was doing something wrong because I'm like, it looks different up here though. And he's like, no, 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 <laughs> that's what that's it's supposed it to is. look like. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> we need to spend a lot of time up here. So, because like I said, I'm not naturally athletic. Nothing about slalom makes sense to me. So I'm very dependent on learning like what it's supposed to look like. And then, um, because I'm a trick skier, what I feel through my feet, you know, I don't know if that's, um, something that like a lot of two and three eventers would say that they're like as feet dependent as I am. But whenever I try to talk to slalom specialists only about like, what do you feel with your feet here? They have no concept of what I'm talking about. So I'm guessing that's just like my trick background coming through. Yeah. And maybe if I may say a little bit of Corey, right? I mean, that when I interviewed Dane and I, I 
I used to ski with him, he would always say that Corey would speak, would coach a lot of slalom as if he was coaching tricks, you know, so stance, balance on the ski, which incidentally, as more great slalom skiers came out of it, uh, uh, sorry, came out of him and his ski school, that conversation became more common. Now you hear a lot of slalom skiers and slalom coaches talking about stance, talking about pressure under your feet, where is your balance point, you know, something that up until... I would say four or five years ago, maybe a little bit more, never heard of that, right? Mm -hmm. So who knows, maybe maybe it's just you being bred as a trick skier, maybe a little bit of core in the picture, but it's, uh, no, I I resonate with that for sure. For I, think, sure. I think we would be foolish to not at least like throw that, you know, in the back of our mind, that whole conversation of the feet, because at the end of the day, our only connection to the water is through our feet. And our only mm -hmm. connection to the boat is through the handle. So we really should probably place a lot of value in what we're doing with those two parts of our body um, at the very end of the day. Like I thought about that the other day. It's like if I have to like pare down what I'm going to pay attention to, like if there was some weird life or death thing and I could only think about like two or three things, like what would really matter to me on my ski? I think for the sake of my back, right? Like I would think about keeping my alignment. Like that's just so important to me personally. But you know, two and three would probably be, what are my feet doing? Like, where am I at on top of my feet? And then where are my hands? Not necessarily mm -hmm. wanting to put my hands anywhere, but just like, where are they? Just being aware. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, even without the life or, or death threat, uh, the least <laughs> you think about the better, right? Like, we know that. Like, if you start overthinking while you're skiing, that doesn't necessarily turn out to be a good thing. Speaking about thinking, um, you are you are going through this process. I'm assuming that you know painful regain, like learning the position. Eventually, the buoys start to come again and start to come at more shorter lines. When did it click? Of like, okay, now I'm ready to to compete, or now I should challenge myself to compete. Because that point had to come. Yeah, you know. So 2018 and 2019, I went to Malibu Open. That was the only pro event I did those two years. And I got last and second to last. <laughs> so it was, I mean, not a good experience for me. But Chet sent me because he said, you need to stand on the dock with those women and you need to be comfortable. And if you're not comfortable with that, this experiment is over. And I was like, that's a fair point. You know, yeah. I totally understand where you're coming from. So I went and um, 2018, he sent me and he said, I want you to run 35. So I ran 35 and I got two at 38. And I think that got me last. Um, and then the next year I skied well, but the boat broke. So I had to re-ride and I actually missed my 35 in the re-ride. And I got second to last with that. Um, and so yeah, at that point... <laughs> right? <laughs> Improvement. And, you know, I mean, I, I was upset, of course, at the time because I knew I could run a lot more buoys. Um, but I also was that part of me is like, okay, but trust the process. Like you've been at this for all of two years. These girls have been skiing at an elite level all the way through juniors, most of them. And then several years as opens, like you're a fool to be upset that you're not skiing as well as them. Like, mm -hmm. you're literally an asshole if you think you should be skiing as good as them with two right. years of experience. Yeah, yeah. Fair, fair yeah. way to cope. <laughs> so, 
I worked hard in the winter of 2019. Um, and then three weeks before Moomba, I was sitting in the water at the end of the lake and Chet pulled up like really close to me in the boat and he like hung over the side and he was like, hey. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he's like, you want to go to Moomba? And I was like, it's in three weeks. Like they close registration. Like I'd have to like talk, work. I work, right? Like right. I have a job. And he's like, I'm just saying. He goes, it's windy. It's cold here. Like you've been skiing really well and like all the chop. He's like, why don't you just like go to Moomba? And I was like, I mean, I just like felt like my head was spinning. I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, okay, well, he was, I don't mean to make a big deal about it, but I do need you to decide by the end of the day because we have to decide if we're getting ready or not. And I was like, okay, I'll go, I'll go to Moomba. Like, I'll go to Moomba. Sure, whatever. Right. So I, oh my God, and at the time, my credit card info had gotten stolen. So I didn't have a credit card, right? So I called my dad and I'm like, dad, I need you to enter me in Moomba. And he's like, what the hell are you talking about? And I was like, they just opened up registration, especially for me. I don't have a credit card. Like I need to register. I'm like, register me and then I'll pay you tomorrow. Like when I see you. Right. And he's like, this doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm like, I just need you to trust me a little bit. So I registered for Moomba, bought the flight, whatever, had three weeks to get ready basically. Right. Cause we just decided. And, um, I was, that whole week right before Moomba, I was so sick. Like, super, super sick. Thought it was my allergies, because like South Florida in March, like when it's really windy, Blooming, you know? yeah. So I took like my, my allergy stuff, did nothing for me. Went to the doctor, did like the flu test, so like it's not the flu, it's not strep. And I was like, I'm, like, I'm dying. Like, I feel awful. And like COVID was just becoming a thing, right? Right. So I was like, oh shit. Like, I don't know if this is real or not. I didn't really have any COVID symptoms, but I just knew like I felt terrible. So I get on and, and nothing I, I was taking was working for any of the symptoms. Like nothing over the counter, nothing the doctor gave me. Nothing was just at least like let's mitigate how bad I feel. Nothing was touching it. So I f get on the plane from LA to Melbourne and I took some stuff just to make me sleep at least because I was right. yeah just so sick get there and then this was the year this year they um had all that rain right so they had to cancel the second day of juniors to you know get the courses fixed so that we could ski mm -hmm. and um I was like okay I've got like a couple days at least to try to like sleep it all off and feel better and I mean I was not getting better like I was on week two and I was just like still sick. And I was like, I knew I couldn't tell anybody I wasn't feeling well because people were starting to get a little bit antsy about COVID. And I didn't really know what I had. So basically when I wasn't skiing at Moomba, I was in the hotel room just trying to sleep for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I went to Moomba and I was like, people have done better in worse. So I feel sick. It is Moomba. It's, you've been there. It's rolly. There's a current it's loud like it's just everything you wouldn't pick for your dream ski set <laughs> right right and um but you know i went with the goal of ski three times you know chet and and george um george levine who um i ski with at chet's a lot you know george texted me every morning he's like just ski three times like just get one more under your belt so even though i didn't feel well it was kind of like that 
part of me, like that autopilot, like I shut off and I just like trusted my training a little bit. I hate to say that because that doesn't sound, um, I don't know, I don't think, I don't think that sounds very impressive when people say I just like shut off and did what I do. Um, but that's really what I did because I felt so sick and yeah. I made the finals at Moomba and I was like, okay, I, I think I can do this. Like I think, cause I'd never skied in a foreign country before. I went all by myself. I was sick. I obviously the last two pro events I went to, I got last and second to last. Now we're at Moomba, which is notoriously intimidating. And I made the finals and I was like, okay, like this is doable. Like I can handle this. And then came home, you know, COVID happened and everything. And we trained when we could, when the lakes weren't closed. And then I went to Hilltop. Oh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> That's, uh, you're not going to speed, speed that one up. Finals, you're in the finals. What well, you happened? wanted the moment. I'm trying to lead, get you to the moment. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because this is quite impressive, right? Like you, skied, <laughs> you skied 18 and 19 Malibu, last, second, last pretty courageous choice to go to Moomba, you know, like do, do something like, like Hilltop or like, you know, to me, Moomba masters worlds, like that's the, right. the grand slam. Right. Mm -hmm. So after going last and second last, you decide to go to Moomba, never been abroad to ski and you make the final. I mean, that's got to leave a mark like you on that long journey home. You must have had a thought or two, you know, about where you were going with your skiing this year. I, you know, I just, I got more hungry. Like, oh, I was just like, go. I'm going to go home. You have no idea how hard I'm going to train. Like, I want to ski in all the wind and all the rollers. I want a roller because I in the finals, I fell at four ball at 35 because of a roller. And as a lefty, four ball in any pass is important, right? Oh, so yeah. I was like, I want a roller at every four ball for the rest of my life. And I'm going to turn that four ball like you've never seen. And so, I, yeah, I mean, I was, I was excited, but... I also knew how much better I could have skied. I mean, the minute I fell and they put you on the little boat and bring you back to the dock, like I already had like everything in my head I wanted to work on when I got home. And I was just pissed that I couldn't go take a set somewhere. I was pissed I had to fly all the way home to work on it. I was like, this is yeah. bullshit. I want to go ski. <laughs> Classic thought, right? Classic thought. Yeah. So, I mean, the flight home from Moomba, like Mastercraft was that drive home while I still had a lot of things I wanted to work on in my head. That one was more like a wow to me. Like I was a little bit like, okay, I feel like I deserve to be a little bit impressed with myself. Moomba, I was not there yet. I was still like, you have so much work to do. Oh my God. You know, I think, I think the only reason I did so well at Moomba after getting last and second to last was I went into Moomba going, these girls have got a lot of experience and some of them have even skied here, but at the end of the day, Moomba is the most level playing field there is. And so somebody like me who has no advantages, that is my advantage. Yeah. Is that it's a level playing field. So if I just, you know, stay on my toes and know when to strike, there's a shot I might come out of this okay. Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, it sounded like it was the first time that you achieved the goal that Chad set for you, right? In Which terms goal? of like, what the the goal like you, you, I think the goal he gave you in 2018 was round 35 you didn't or oh, no maybe you did no you did you did round 35 sorry 
Yeah, no, no I did run 35. But I mean, yeah. he, you know, and honestly, actually, now that you mentioned that, he did send me with, with two goals. It was ski three times, but also run 35 every time. And I didn't oh, okay. run 35 in the final. I fell. Um, but yeah, in the first round, I ran three and a half at 38. And I think that actually put me second seed for the next round. Because I was like, that's big. <laughs> so early off the dock, and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna do, I'm just gonna do me. And I ran my three and a half, and of course, I was pissed that I didn't run it because it was four ball again, at yeah. same four ball, same roller off of the same sewer grate that got me. <laughs> um, but you know, I was pretty pleased with that after not running 35 that fall at Malibu Open. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Was, no, I mean. It's way more impressive that for sure. <laughs> no, I guess what I, w I was trying to get in is sounds like Chet is also in your journey. He's been smart at setting appropriate goals, not just telling you, oh, go and do your best, which we know doesn't work mentally, but also he didn't give you a goal of like that, that it was too far unreachable, right? It sounded every time you went to a pro tournament, your goals were hard, but achievable possibly mm -hmm. right and those are the ones that give you the most motivation yeah. um and you strike me as someone very motivated so let, let's continue to talk about this season you know like so did you ski lcq no i didn't see i didn't ski lcq um i can't remember why but he was like you don't need that one and i just well, maybe like, it didn't even happen did it uh probably was may did it happen lcq See, this is what I'm talking no about, Mateo. I don't remember things like from the past. I'm so terrible at this. <laughs> yeah, this is blurry to me too because I wasn't there. But no, maybe there wasn't even an LCQ this year. Yeah, there well, we're going to get a lot of shit about this. But anyway, yeah. um, so after that, Hilltop. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so Hilltop happened. And that was another, honestly, like all my events aside from Malibu this year were super last minute. So Becky Lathrop mm -hmm. was flying out to drive the event and they were short female pro female skiers because this was the same weekend as the Stillwater team challenge in Wisconsin. So yeah. a lot of girls went to that and there was less women at Hilltop and she was like, Hey, I don't know what you have going on. Um, but it's a really cool lake. I don't know if you ever skied there. I'll be there. We can hang out. You should come. And I was like, you know, I, I called Chet and I said, may I go, you know, because right. am, am I ready? Like, is it time? And he was like, oh yeah, he goes, you know, go stand on the dock with those girls again, which was a lot of like this year, honestly, was just get comfortable being on that dock and keeping, you know, your wits about you in that environment. So I went to Hilltop, um, super cool. Like I've never skied in Washington state, you know, yeah. I, I don't do a lot of West coast skiing. So, um, that was just a cool experience in itself. Um, and that's something I've noticed about pro events is you want to like take in the moment because it's usually really unique, but you're also like, shit, I have to compete right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a tough balance to keep, right? Yeah. It's a tough balance to keep. And, and I mean, Hilltop is, is gorgeous. You oh know, my like gosh. it skis well, it looks good, the people are nice there, like the community there is really nice. Mm -hmm. So, how did that work out for you? You know, it was, it was it was a really good event. I was at the time I was flipping back and forth between skis, and I would say in hindsight, I took the wrong ski for that lake, um, and how cool the water was. Um, but I got third. I don't think I ran a thirty-eight. 
no, I know I didn't run a 38 because I came home and the next day I got, you know, in the boat with my dad and I said, dad, we have to do whatever it takes to not miss 38s anymore. And he was like, okay, like that's what we'll work on. Um, and so I think I got like three and a half, a bunch of times, like four ball as a lefty. Right. Um, but it was, it was still like a good experience. Like I was like, okay, I've got more 35s in pro events under my belts. Like I think yeah. I ran 35 all four rounds and 35 sounds like it's of no consequence and, you know, pro female slalom skiing. But for me, you know, coming from where I had and my massive two and a half years of a pro career <laughs> and the first two years only went to two events in total, um, running 35s in events, was important to me. That was like getting yeah. those reps in and knowing I could do it. And it wasn't, um, it didn't feel like so much pressure to, to run the 35. It became a point of like, how do I want to run this 35? Right. So, um, yeah, that was really good. And, and that was my, uh, my first podium. Yeah. Yeah. So you stand up on the podium, they give you a little check. You're smiling, you're holding your ski. Any <laughs> thoughts in that moment? I mean, my usual, like, I have so much work to do and I can think of 10 things I want to work on. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. I, was, I was so ready to go home. Um, but it was a really cool event. Like, it was, in a weird way, it was just so intimate. Like, all the pros who got to be there, we got to spend a lot of time just, like, talking down at the dock. And it was super low-key, even though it was a pro event. Um, and I really loved that. Like, I, I got to talk to a lot of people that maybe I otherwise wouldn't have at other pro events just because of the setup. Um, but yeah, I, I came out of Hilltop was the tournament where like on the plane ride home, I was like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to learn 38 inside and out. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that was what, that was what we did. So I'm, I'm going to give you a blunt statement just by some of the things you said, and then I hope you can correct me or, or, or whatever, but like, it sounds you're like a very, process performance oriented rather than than like outcome you know like because i mean someone who cares about outcome you get third at a pro event you know you're like what not bad there's only two steps left someone who's performance oriented is like well no there's there's more buoys to turn there's better movements there's better gates you know better equipment more fit interesting interesting especially it, like, I can almost see why Hilltop wasn't that validating, maybe. You know, it was great experience, but your thinking was, I need to work more, I need to work more, I need to work more. You know, I think, like, somehow innately, I'm wired to be very big picture. Mm -hmm. So anything in the past, like, while I can learn from it, it doesn't have all that much value to me. Um, and I know that, you know... So, okay, Regina is 10 years older than me. And I think we can agree Regina is the best female slum skier of all time. She's the most dominant. Yep. Has been and is continuing to be. She's exactly 10 years older than me. And so in my mind, I know that once Regina stops being so dominant or she retires, the clock starts ticking for me and I have 10 years left. So every year that she continues to win almost everything is another year that the clock hasn't started for me because some people might say I'm, I'm already too old to get started, which I think is like a stupid bullshit narrative anyway. But okay, like if you want to go down that, that road, am I too old? Okay, let's talk about this. 
No, Regina's 36 and she's still doing what she's doing. So the clock hasn't started ticking yet. And as long as it hasn't, I'm going to work as hard as I can and get caught up as much as I can and gain as much experience as I can. Because then once she decides she's done or maybe she's physically not capable or whatever happens, I know I've got 10 years left is the way yeah. like I choose to see it right now. Yeah. And so I think when you're thinking in terms of at least 10 years or more, I think very big picture. Like yep. Hilltop was great. I'm, I got you know podium and that was great and it was really fun and it was validating. Um, but what is one event in that big picture, you know, my 10 year plus plan? It was a great moment. I cherish it. I'm really grateful to all the people who helped me get there and who made it, but there is just so much more to be had and there's so much more work to do. Like we're probably 2% into my journey if things keep going the way that, that I want and I foresee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know it's, it's, it's an interesting approach, right? Because on one hand, that seems to be the right approach to become very good at something, right? But then on the other hand, it seems like if you don't ever get to a, acknowledge your accomplishments or at least like hold them a little bit before they disappear, uh, how do you measure how good you are? Now, luckily, water skiing has a very blunt in your face way of doing it, which is the six buoys, right? True. That's, it's right there. Like it's not like tennis where you can only judge yourself according to how you beat. I mean, in my opinion, that should be the metric in water skiing as well, but you can also ski against the course. And guess what? You're always going to lose. Even Regina loses against the course. Even Nate loses against the course. So maybe, you know, maybe performance oriented is, is the strategy. Well, know? for somebody like me, skiing is a game you can't, we can't beat it, right? Until yep. somebody runs 43, they'll just, I mean, they'll make another loop. Like we literally cannot beat slalom. I absolutely love that. Like, I like things I know I can't beat. And what I love about slalom, because it's not just six buoys, it's wind and air temperature and water temperature and the boat and the driver and the ski and the fin and the wing and your boot and you and the rope and what's it made the of. rope. Yeah. Everything. Yeah, that's the conversation. Yeah. It's, it's like trying to solve a Rubik's Cube that's fighting against you. And maybe the Rubik's Cube's not trying to beat you, but it's just going to do whatever it wants to do. Mm -hmm. And I mean, to me, that is the ultimate, like my mind loves that part of it, is that we're always looking for pieces that make us bigger, better, faster, stronger in this sport, and we're never going to win. I hate things that I can win too easily, too fast. Yeah things that are too easy to master. I mean, if it's easy to master, what is the point in doing it? If anybody can do it. But I think also, yeah, I think more than the mastery is the pursuit of understanding, Mm -hmm. right? I was talking, I can't remember what I was talking about this with. Um, But yeah, we were comparing water skiing to hockey, right? Like, so if you abide to the idea that hockey is crazy fast, super technical, team sport, on ice like it's a super complex sport yet when you hear you know some of the people that work with nhl players say or olympians the players have stopped seeking right Mm. like 
they they just rap they just mm-hmm. rap and then they know what they need to work on like it's they've figured it out they've identified right to me that conversation in, in water skiing never occurs to any water skier if anything the better you become the more you understand that you don't know shit and there's a whole other thing to to figure out and personally at least that's that's what has kept me in the sport right yeah absolutely just as much as i i think i figured out how to move on the ski then i'm getting interested about skis as i figure out oh maybe that's the type of ski that works for this technique i re-question my technique you know it's this ever understanding that keeps you in so not only you're never not only you're ever going to beat the course it sounds like you you're never going to understand it right mm-hmm. absolutely <laughs> a, that makes it like a mix for a lifetime doesn't it I, i've always said and this is like this is a very aggressive statement but anybody who ever thinks like nothing can be better like they've got everything set up and figured out right they don't deserve to ski anymore pull them out of the water because yeah. there is no way you know everything and there's no way that your situation cannot be more optimized like the week before grand prix the two weeks before grand prix we're still chasing whatever that setup was i mean the numbers are the same nothing's changed but there was something like magical about the two weeks before grand prix and we will figure it out again right i mean that was like months ago it feels like but we'll figure it out again and that's what i love about the sport we had it and then it's gone because the wind, yeah. you know, the wind, the water temp changed and, you know, the fin might have slipped and this and this and this. But it's okay. We'll find it again. And that's what I absolutely love. I think this sport would be really boring if we got our setup and it was set up right and it was perfect and it worked in all conditions and then we just had to rep buoys. I think it would be really boring.